nature is our muse. We always say that where it's like, yes, those ratios that are found naturally in the plant. Well, let's recreate that so that you can consistently have that same experience every time you have a product so that you're not buying a product one month. And then three months later, you go back to buy it again. And you're like, I didn't do the same. Was that the same product? Is that the same thing? And that's happening because of that lack of consistency, which now we're able to solve for, which is, I think, what's going to help lay the foundation for this industry to reach its potential and actually be able to deliver those experiences that people want. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. Y'all, to be honest, things have been a bit stressful and chaotic in my world. A lot of changes going on, and as a result, I'm having to pivot and reevaluate some things. There are some exciting things I'm also hoping to launch in the coming weeks, but the nature of change is really scary sometimes, and doing things differently can be confusing, especially how to approach something new and ultimately navigating bringing that offering to market. Fundamentally, I do believe change is good. It keeps you making progress because the reality is if you stay in the same place, you will inevitably die. Maybe not a physical death, but hopefully you understand what I'm saying and where I'm coming from. It is good to be uncomfortable. So I just wanted to share transparently that I'm a bit uncomfortable lately. And if you are too, it's okay. I really want you to not fight it. And I'm saying this partly for myself. We need to embrace it. On top of that, I cannot believe that summer is coming to an end. All my friends have been jetting off and traveling to Europe. And, you know, unfortunately, the realities are when you run a small family business like I do, I don't always get afforded the glamorous two-week paid time off that I'm used to getting when I worked for an employer. And so I'm trying to navigate and figure out that work-life balance. I love working for myself, but when you work for yourself, you also take on a lot more ownership. Not one is right or wrong. It's just trying to figure out what is best for you. And so I'm in that that situation. I'm in that moment in my life. So I'm continuing to adjust and I'm trying to handle the inputs to make the best decisions and outputs. Mainly, we've been taking lots of mini day trips to Texas watering holes, spending time in nature and focusing on my mental health and well-being while trying to navigate life. So I hope however your summer went slash is going slash is ending, you found time to explore, grow, and reflect. And I know I've been doing a lot of reflecting and certainly more to come as I figure out just where and when the next step is going to come. I'm sharing this always in the spirit of encouragement to remind you that just because you see a new episode being published, you might not know the chaos that it took to get here, to hit send, and that's okay to reevaluate what is going on because at the end of the day, spoiler alert, we are all human beings trying to find our place in the world. So if anything, I hope you gain some encouragement from this share. Personal things aside, getting into today's episode, I am joined by Nicole Brown, who is the Chief Innovation Officer at Open Book Extracts. 
Nicole and I connected after discovering we had a few mutual friends, which led to some pre-conversations where she so kindly let me pick her brain. And our discussion was so informative, I knew I wanted to feature a version of it for the podcast. I always feel privileged for the conversations that I'm able to have and the people I'm able to connect with. And as a result, try to bring as much of those conversations and discussions to this podcast for you to benefit from. Open Book Extracts is based in North Carolina and is an ingredient manufacturer, product development house, and supplier focused on cannabinoid-enabled health and wellness. I was particularly curious to chat with Nicole because I think as business owners and marketers, we don't necessarily understand sometimes the bits and pieces that come together to make a product that sits on a shelf. What is the source of ingredients? What goes into formulation? What trends are happening in the industry? And then, of course, how do you take all of that and bring that end product to market? So this is a bit of a behind the scenes of the ideation of how products get dreamt up and what is available to source from. We dive into new technologies, which is clearly a hit or miss topic if you know me. And Nicole channels data-driven consumer insights into a long-term course of action, delivering immediately usable product innovation, and also drives awareness and thought leadership by overseeing strategic marketing efforts, including PR, event marketing, advertising, and partnerships. I'm so glad to have had this conversation with Nicole. It gave me some things to consider for my own business, Restart CBD, and I hope it leaves you with insight and actions as you make decisions in your own life and business. So... Without further ado, please join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Nicole to the show. Thank you, Shada. And thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And yeah, it's my favorite question to be asked as well as to ask others. I think everyone's journey into this industry, which is really a community of such passionate and like-minded people, is always a great story that you get to hear. So my story, I spent most of my career working in the consumer goods space. So I worked in the wine and spirits industry for Moet Hennessy doing, you know, beverage development in the alcohol space. I worked for Shiseido Cosmetics doing development for beauty products, cosmetic products, fragrances. So I've always been quite passionate about just making products that people love. And of course, in the course of just my personal journey, watching the evolution of the cannabis industry as we know it today, you know, starting in you know, recreational states like Colorado, California, 2014. Then you have the 2018 Farm Bill, which gives birth an explosion of this new industry that we all call the CBD industry. And that piqued my curiosity to learn more and understand more about this plant and what its potential is and what it can do and all the various products that go into it. And so I made a very intentional decision to want to be a part of this community in this industry. And that journey led me to where I am today, which is Open Book Extracts. We started the company in 2019. So pretty, you know, it seemed late at the time, but now we know we were just getting started. So we established the company looking at the supply chain, particularly, and what you referenced is very relevant for what it takes on cultivation, extraction, processing, product development, formulation, and manufacturing to make products that are good and products that work. And the state of the industry when we started was not as sophisticated as we thought it should be or that it certainly needed to be. And that was the catalyst to build our company. And so our company, we're based in North Carolina, which has itself a rich agricultural heritage, 
as well as a thriving research community for scientists, chemists, product developers, formulators from all across the world come together. And it's a perfect place to start this kind of business. So we could draft in, you mentioned people with different backgrounds. We have people from all different backgrounds that are part of our team, people that worked in the dietary supplement space or in pharmacy or in the pharmaceutical realm or in the cosmetics industry and people who have cannabis backgrounds. And when you bring all those different minds together, you're able to solve really interesting brand new problems, mostly on a daily basis, if not more often than that. And we focus as a company on three areas of the supply chain. So first and foremost is, as you mentioned, the raw ingredients themselves, what it takes to you know harvest, extract, and produce all of the inputs that are the actives in CBD products, things like broad spectrum, full spectrum distillate, CBD isolate, some of the more rare cannabinoids like CBN, THCV. We'll probably talk about these a little bit later. So we focus one on the ingredients, making sure they're high quality, they're produced well. Second is all about product development and formulation. What can you do with those ingredients? What can you make? What different formulas in different ratios, maybe including some other companion ingredients to make a really well-rounded formulation in all different types of products, whether you're making a product for ingestible, such as a tincture or a gummy or a tablet or beverage or a topical product or even products for pets. And then the third component where we've actually been focusing a lot recently is manufacturing itself. How do you actually then create products that are ready for commercial sale? How do you create well-packaged, well-formulated, well-tested products that can go onto the market and serve consumers? And so briefly, end to end, that's you know what we do. My role at the company as chief innovation officer, overseeing all of our efforts when it comes to new product innovation, product development, and it really spans across all those categories, whether it's looking at what are those new cannabinoid ingredients and other ingredients, what are new types of products or new forms that we can experience these products in and deliver great products to the market. And of course, working closely with our marketing teams, our sales teams and everything else to bring all that together in a, in a perfect cycle. So that's uh, briefly what I do. And so much. Yeah. No, I loved it. That is so helpful. Again, I think to frame things up because I am like tracking with what you're saying. I understand those different components because I have a business in the space and I have to deal with these things myself in different capacities. And at the same time, I feel like there's still so much innovation happening in our industry that I'm like, oh my God, I just, I don't know what I don't know. And so that's why I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because I think there's going to be a lot of people who are listening who equally are like, oh my God, I didn't know that, or that's a great solution, or what an inspiring opportunity to think of this in a different way. And so to kind of kick things off, I would love, I mean, I have a myriad of questions. I'm like, which one do I ask first? But I would love to start off by understanding geographically, your North Carolina what are cannabis laws like in North Carolina that allow you to operate this business? And especially from a cannabinoid perspective, let's start with cultivation. Like, are you sourcing everything in North Carolina? And what is North Carolina's cannabis status right now? Great questions. Lo loved it. Always got to start with the regulatory stuff. Get, get that foundation laid here. All right. So North Carolina specifically is on, you know, 
the national level governed under the 2018 Farm Bill, like all states are. So the 2018 Farm Bill gave permission to all states to be able to cultivate hemp, process hemp, and participate in manufacturing. North Carolina specifically, and there was actually some recent developments here, have passed some additional legislation for the permission to cultivate and produce under the guidance of the North Carolina legislation. So that allows us to operate in North Carolina as a hemp processor and formulate and produce and manufacture products using hemp-derived cannabinoids. We can then formulate, sell all of those ingredients, all those products across all 50 states, as well as internationally. So it allows us a lot of freedom to operate from where we sit and also in just a very favorable and supportive legislation. When it comes to the cannabis side and the regulated market, you know, North Carolina does not have a medical or a recreational program. Virginia just opened up their recreational program. So our neighbor to the north uh, certainly has an activity going on, which may or may not eventually move you know, down south a little bit further. But in the meantime, being on the kind of non-THC hemp-derived cannabinoid part of the industry, we have, you know, full capacity to be able to operate there. When it comes to cultivation, you know, when we started out in 2019, we did, you know, have a kind of discrete network of farms that we worked with that we vetted for our quality standards and primarily did grow and cultivate in North Carolina and also up in Southern Virginia as well. You know, as we've matured as a company, we now will, you know, source additional cultivated hemp from other markets and again, from other vetted sources to be able to, you know, make sure that we have sufficient supply in our supply chain and diverse supply chain. So we're still applying all of the same quality controls to be able to have that lineage and chain of custody all the way back to the field and the plant. And then we take it from there when it comes to all of the processing and production of those finished materials. Absolutely. No, that makes sense. And I think it's helpful to kind of highlight too, I think, you know, from my perspective, we get a lot of questions as a retailer, just as a business operating in the industry in Texas, you know, does everything come from Texas? And the reality is at first it couldn't because the farm bill legalized and then our state legalized months later. So the infrastructure to cultivate was not a realistic possibility to leverage from a material perspective. But then even as the industry started to open up, I always use the analogy of, you know, oranges. Just because you can grow oranges in Texas doesn't mean the oranges in Texas are going to be the best oranges. My preference would always be Florida oranges. Uh, maybe that's the marketer in me. I believe, you know, sometimes what the label claims are saying a little too much, but there is certain standards that are put on agriculture. And so not to discredit North Carolina by any means, just trying to simply kind of highlight and frame, it doesn't always need to come from the state from a hemp perspective because you have the ability to cross state lines with interstate commerce. And I believe like we do, we're looking for quality. So we want to source the highest quality version of hemp And then I think getting into that, there's some deviations too, which you touched on a little bit in your introduction. Isolate, full spectrum, broad spectrum. If you're getting a full spectrum product, obviously that full plant profile is what is the genetic makeup of that cultivation versus if you're doing an isolate, 
I just need raw material and I can extract the isolate out of it. And isolate is isolate. Now, I think there is certainly quality and purity concerns depending on the extraction process, but on the actual plant, it doesn't matter as much. Am I right or wrong in that assumption? You're totally right. And to build on your analogy, the analogy I like to use because I come from the alcohol industry, it's wine, it's terroir, right? Where it's like, just because you can, you know, grow some Sauvignon Blanc grapes in Texas, does it mean your grapes and your wine's going to be as good as what you grow in France or England? Like, probably not. Like, there's all of those influences that go into cultivation. And so, you know, certain parts of our country, certain parts of the globe are, you know, have more favorable conditions for the cultivation of hemp. North Carolina is one of them. You know, obviously the West Coast, obviously certain parts of South America also have ideal growing conditions. And so the most important factor to your point should be you want the highest quality underlying product because that's going to then serve you well in the products that you make. If that's going into a full spectrum distillate, a broad spectrum distillate, when you get into the realm of pure isolated cannabinoids, you're talking about molecular purity. You're getting a product that you deliver that is 99% plus pure of CBD isolate, of CBN isolate, of THCV isolate. So once you're getting down to that level and those levels of technical expertise and chemistry that allow you to do that, that becomes you know less and less significant. What's more significant is the applications of quality, the applications of process control that go into that production so that you know that those isolates that you're receiving, you can have confidence in them. You can use them well in your products. They're going to deliver on the experience that you want. Absolutely. And especially when you're getting into, which I feel like I talk a lot about on the podcast, but I love to reiterate things because I think that it's important to talk about the basics, the fundamentals, right? And so the quality of things does vary in some capacities, depending on what product you're ultimately putting on the shelf. Like if you're doing something full spectrum, it is going to be really I wouldn't say impossible, but more difficult batch to batch to create consistency versus pursuing an isolate product or a standalone cannabinoid where you're not relying on the genetic makeup of that cultivation to produce the end results, which I still think is an interesting dynamic that the cannabis industry has to navigate. Obviously, you do see it in other industries like alcohol. The grapes are grown. Some seasons are hotter than others. Sometimes the grapes are sweeter. Sometimes they're a little bit more bitter. And that does impact that. Clearly, you can tell I'm probably not a wine person. I don't know, like nearly enough language. I'm like the different batches of wines. I don't know what they call them when they're, you know, different seasonalities of versions of the grow that's happening. But the implication of it for cannabis, right, is sometimes the consumer is, oh, well, this batch tastes different. And it's, well, that's because it's a plant. And depending on the stressors put on that plant or the environment or circumstances, that end product could be a variable, which to me is why we as a brand actually early on launched isolate only and isolate first. So that was a little controversial. Uh, back in 2018, there was a lot of people who we didn't know what we didn't know as an industry. I argue we still don't know what we don't know. But there was a lot of like, Ugh, you're an isolate product. Like, yeah, only full plant is the best and full spectrum and entourage effect. And I'm not somebody who wants to pick a fight. I'm not here to be like isolate is better than full spectrum. But I really believe in at least giving the consumer the tools to make decisions for themselves. And so when you are looking at options in the market in terms of what can I do with this cannabis plant and what can I extract from it and what product can I ultimately put on the shelf? 
those are considerations of, hey, there are people out there who perhaps don't want trace amounts of THC because shocker, we now hear even trace amounts in a full spectrum product could cause you to fail a drug test. So it's one of those things, again, I think there's definitely some ego involved in it, but there's also just understanding this material that we have access to and to the degree that we can, I don't know if manipulate is the right word because it sounds kind of negative, but dissect, right? There's so many different ways to dissect the cannabis plant. Um, and especially through your supply chain process, I can't even imagine the different variabilities that go from you're inputting this material to process it and then going into the formulation where you are crafting all these. Sometimes it could be an isolate. Sometimes it's a blend. Sometimes it's multiple cannabinoids. And so you touched on some of those minor cannabinoids. And I know in our previous kind of conversation, we were exploring what the realm of open book extracts really covers. And I would just love to kind of like reiterate it for the audience, because I do think that, again, there's this misconception of where cannabinoids come from and what is constituting a minor cannabinoid and obviously getting into even the recreational market versus the hemp market, because now you're seeing some of these miners show up in the recreational market. And I think customers are like, I thought that was a that was from the hemp plant or that was a CBD thing. And it's like, okay, let's, you know, break apart some of these words and correct some things over here. And so you're the expert in this realm. I would just love to understand from you getting into some of these minor cannabinoids, how y'all navigate them and kind of what your parameters are for, oh, we're going to bring this new cannabinoid to market. How do you even approach something like that? Yeah. So, you know, you know, first when you talk about, you know, cannabinoids holistically, right? That's where you're talking about. You've got your marijuana plant and your hemp plant, right? So there are two different plants. They're both the cannabis sativa variety. So like they're sisters, right? They, they look alike. They smell alike. What's their big difference, right? So you've got marijuana, which is like a high producing THC plant, which also does contain CBD and other cannabinoids. And then you've got your hemp plant, which naturally produces high levels of CBD and low levels of THC. So they've got some similarities. And on the molecular level, when you're talking about, you know, if you isolate a CBD molecule or a THC molecule from either of those plants at the molecular level, they will be identical in their pure form, right? So, you know, disavowing this notion. And sorry, I live in New York City, guys. So like, you're going to get some city sounds in the background here. I'm in my apartment, just that's how loud it is. So, you know, getting into the disavowal of, or the understanding that, you know, you can have cannabinoids coming from either of those plants. And now you're starting to see the rise of the cannabinoids that are coming from the hemp plant, which we are able to isolate using all of our various processes and all the sophistication in technology that goes along with it. You know, the marijuana market historically has been very focused on one cannabinoid, THC, right? That's their primary cannabinoid of interest. They want to extract THC and that's what they want to use as their primary active in most of their products for all the reasons we know and love. When you get into the hemp-derived cannabinoid space, you then have a pool of options that is expanding, right? We know there's 140 known cannabinoids out there. And, you know, right now, you know, we have about 14 of them that we're actively producing and using in our products to deliver to the market. And so when it comes to how does that process work? So for something like CBD isolate, you're taking, you know, your cultivated hemp plant, you're putting that through an extraction process to extract out the oil, the CBD oil, all the minor cannabinoids, all the phytonutrients. That's where you're getting back into that story of like that whole plant oil. 
that's very rich in all of the ingredients and kind of has all of, you know, nature's DNA locked in there. You're then taking that through a distillation process to further refine that product, both for taking out any lipids, impurities, other things. So you're getting much more of a pure product. That's a full spectrum product. And then you're going into some post-processing refinement. That's when you can do things such as take out the THC to remove that. So to your point, if you don't want to have THC in a product, you take your full spectrum distillate, you're removing THC from that. And what you're left with is CBD, a lot of different minor cannabinoids at different ratios, and some of those different terpenes and those different like plant ingredients. So you're still getting that rich experience. Then you're going even further to isolate each of the cannabinoids that are in that material. That's where you can get into processes like crystallization. So if you've seen CBD isolate in its pure form out there, you know, it's a, it's a white crystalline powder. It's because it's a crystal. It's, that's its natural state. So you can actually pull those crystals out by forcing that material to crystallize. Then you're getting pure CBD isolate. Same thing for CBG isolate. You're starting with CBG plant, high CBG strains of a hemp plant, and you could take it through that entire process to give you CBG isolate. When you get into some of the rare cannabinoids, that's when you're really getting into the fun science. That's when you're really playing with how can you use organic chemistry and use different processes to then create pure isolated cannabinoids that are found in the hemp plant, oftentimes can be found in the marijuana plant as well, but you're deriving different methods to be able to produce those ingredients at commercial scale. So we'll talk about my favorite because you know I was going to. So THCV, that's one that was on our radar very early on. You know, it's not, you know, new to the industry by any means. You know, Doug's Varian strains and otherwise have been well known, but they're super rare. Um, you can read all of the folklore about going into the, you know, fields in Africa to find the Landry strain. That's the one strain that can grow THCV. So super, super rare. And, you know, really only found in the marijuana plant. And THCV will occur in very low levels in a CBD plant. So to be able to embark on the journey to say THCV has some very powerful potential applications to it. THCV can help curb your appetite, which can lead to helping to manage your weight, helping to even support conditions like metabolic disorders or diabetes. It gives you energy and stimulation. So almost like a plant-based or an herbal Adderall, similar effect, could replace your cup of coffee or your caffeine. And when used in a cosmetic product or a topical, has been known to alleviate symptoms of acne. So you've got one molecule, one thing that can be very relevant across like three, like very large industries and industries that are in need of some solutions. So the whole reason to go after THCV was quite obvious. The journey to actually figure out how to do it was intensive. You know, it required, you know, a team of scientists that I am humbled by every day with how they're able to take on these challenges, take on these, you know, big, juicy ideas. Be like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. We're going to like figure out all the laws of science and chemistry and what it's going to take to be able to bring to market what we think is a very important cannabinoid. So, you know, that process took us about nine months in 2020. And, you know, right around September of 2020 was when we were one of the first to be able to bring to market, you know, commercial scale quantities of THCV that we could either provide to our clients directly that were making their own products or then start to formulate and create our own formulations 
our own products, whether that's going into a beverage, like an energy shot or a gummy to help you focus better, um, or even looking at different like serums and cosmetic formulations for treating acne. And so that has now allowed us to create a whole new category of products that we can help and support our clients in developing concepts, developing products to put onto the market. And it's been quite satisfying to now, here we are in 2022, and there is you know a growing number of THCV products on the market. And I'll get back to your point also on the adjacency or the interplay with the marijuana industry and the regulated market. So you are seeing these products show up there. You know, you can go to Illinois and see THCV gummies at their dispensaries because we do work with those partners. So those companies, those multi-state operators that are running those dispensaries across states, you know, because they've been focused so singularly on their one cannabinoid, they're like, wait, you guys over here have all these other ones and they can use them and they can put those into their products. We can help them formulate those products to create those very select effect products, which is now becoming more and more what consumers are demanding. They're looking for a product that like, I want to know this particular product is going to, you know, help alleviate anxiety, help me sleep better, relieve pain, give me energy and focus, you know, support gut health. So being very specific on the outcomes you're going for, that's where those rare cannabinoids play such a big role where they're able to each one, whether it's CBN, CBG, CBC, CBN has very unique properties that can deliver on those effects, right? Like we'll take it all the way back to our wine analogy. You know, we talk about wine, you talk about, yeah, different, you know, seasonality, different varietals, right? So you've got like, you know, summer goods or that, but like, you know, how are we measuging success for wine? There might be variances in tastes and organoleptics. And ultimately, like you want to get drunk, right? It's like, as long as that happens, I think this glass of wine, it tastes pretty good. And I get drunk. Are people out there doing efficacy studies on alcohol? No, right? Not. Are people doing efficacy studies on cannabinoids? A whole lot. And we're doing many of them because like the metric of how you are measured, people want to know and want to build that trust that, hey, if I am taking this product, I want to understand how it works. I want it to be proven why it works and have the evidence to back that up. And so it's an, you're playing in an entirely different field. And that's where when you have access to all of these isolated cannabinoids, which you can then pair in different ratios, you can even mimic ratios that are found in the plant. You know, nature is our muse. We always say that where it's like, yes, like those ratios that are found naturally in the plant. Well, let's recreate that so that you can consistently have that same experience every time you have a product. So that you're not buying a product one month and then three months later, you go back to buy it again and you're like, that didn't do the same. That was, was that the same product? Is that the same thing? And that's happening because of that lack of consistency, which now we're able to solve for, which is, I think, what's going to help lay the foundation for this industry to reach its potential and actually be able to deliver those experiences that people want. You said so many amazing things that my brain is just exploding (laughs) in the best way possible. Where I want to take this is to loop back around to that point you just made. It is interesting. I think our industry gets a lot of flack and I should specify the hemp side of the industry, I think gets a lot of flack around the chemistry of cannabis, right? Because it is not the pure plant and this is not that 
it's, it's hard to discern. I'm trying to be very particular with how I communicate this, right? I'm pro the full plant. However, when you're getting into consistency and when you're getting into, I like the way you're framing it, if you want to replicate the experience that you might feel, some chemistry does have to be introduced to bring some of these minor, minor cannabinoids to market in an economical way and in a scalable way. And I think that that conversation gets diluted in a lot of shaming, like that's not a naturally occurring cannabinoid. And I hear those people. I also fully see the life cycle of an industry that we are trying to establish consistency, as well as the effects of some of these cannabinoids that otherwise we might not have access to. I think when you look at CBG, yes, you can stress and crossbreed and over time get genetics that produce a high CBG plant. Does that mean in theory over time you could also figure out a way to get the plants to make high THCV or high CBC or high yeah, and CBN? And people, are, and people are doing that, right? right. Like genetic work is going on already, but like no one's, I mean, some people are shaming them, right? So it's like either you're talking about using isolated cannabinoids or you're talking about genetically modified plants mm -hmm. like GMOs. Right, right. And people don't like either of those scenarios. Right, exactly. But then you're looking at where the industry is going and being able to identify, I didn't know that about THCV for acne topically. That's really interesting. I personally am also a big fan of THCV. It is it just to me is like the nicest little effect. And I wouldn't have come across that had it sounds like thanks to industry leaders like your team and yourselves bringing these cannabinoids to market. And so I look sometimes at the whiplash that happens when the industry kind of introduces new cannabinoids. It's like, wait a minute, this isn't THC. We're not comfortable with this. What do we do with this? Where did this come from? How are you making it? Where's What's the quality of it? And then people kind of, oh, I actually really like the way that that cannabinoid makes me feel. Okay, now I feel better about it. And so I'm always a big believer in giving consumers options and choices. And you mentioned it earlier, there's over a hundred plus different cannabinoids. I personally cannot put a pin on how many. I've heard a hundred, I've heard 140, I've heard 120. I don't know, it's a lot. And you just mentioned what 14 cannabinoids you guys are bringing to market. What are those other 70, 80, 90, 100 cannabinoids that we are not fully realizing right. either isolating on its own or in formulation with other cannabinoids. And so that's really where I want to kind of take the next question is to understand around these formulations and also especially working with regulated industries. I was under the assumption, and I think I mentioned to you this when we originally talked, and I think it was the case for some states, although it sounds like it's changing. If you were going to sell marijuana, THC, CBD had to come from the marijuana plant. The sidebar effect is you realistically cannot tell on a test where the plant is derived if it's hemp or marijuana. But for all intents and purpose, I know Colorado was a state that if you wanted to sell CBD with your THC at a dispensary, that CBD had to come from the marijuana plant. I think Colorado is really the only example that I had. And I think that they have since evolved or changed their stance. But to understand from your perspective, you are working with brands who are operating in these legal recreational markets, medicinal markets. They're coming to the same realization we all are. Oh my gosh, these cannabinoids are really powerful from a wellness, therapeutic, recovery, insert, whatever, you know, feeling and effects you want. We want to incorporate it into our product. How do you start to approach like 
formulation. You talk about efficacy. I don't know if there's an exact answer, but my brain goes to, you know, how do you educate someone on dosing THCV, for example? I came across one study. I did a webinar for us at Restart on THCV for some of the examples that you shared. And I came across one report that was like, in some science journal, you can not exceed 10 milligrams of THCV or that will have negative repercussions. I'm thinking, okay, is it 10 milligrams? What's the ideal dose? Do we treat THCV the same way we treat CBD or THC? And so knowing that y'all are, you know, bringing these cannabinoids to market, you have research teams, you're doing this investment in creating some sort of standardization. What does that look like in terms of, okay, customer, you know, Z is, hey, I want to launch a new product. How do you approach formulating that with other cannabinoids that we might be more familiar with? And then also understanding the dosing of the formulation that you're creating. Like, is it just, oh, this seems like a good formulation or like, what's the science behind some of these ratios that I think we normalize like a one-to-one ratio. Is that science or is that just because it's sexy marketing language? You know what I mean? So yeah. where do y'all approach that and how do you handle those conversations? Quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. Yeah. And so everything starts with the science. So certainly taking access to as much literature as we can get our hands on. And we've got a, you know, pretty robust database to go through for each of those cannabinoids. Some have more data available than others. And for the ones that, you know, have less data available, you know, that's where, you know, the work really starts. And for us, you know, looking at you know, understanding cannabinoid receptors, mechanisms of action, and then, you know, putting those formulations to work and to test those out. And our testing will go through a number of different processes. So when we're trying to develop a new formulation to, let's say, you know, support, you know, better sleep and better quality of sleep, you know, we'll look at different ratios of formulations. We'll look at different combinations of cannabinoids, like is CBN good on its own? Is it better if it's paired with CBD? Is it better if you also add some CBC to it? So you have certain hypotheses. These are all like little mini science experiments, which then, you know, we will first take to our internal consumer insights division to have a population of 100 people in a focus group who can test and try these different formulations, which will have different combinations, different dosage levels, and to get that self-reported outcomes from them to better understand what's working, what's the sweet spot, which one of these three, which one of these four, and you keep iterating on that. Do you see those trends? Once we see that, you know, we can then take those out to do, you know, more preclinical studies, more formalized research to further validate and further give evidence to those hypotheses that at that point are still, it's a validated hypothesis. At this point, you don't want to do some more rigorous testing to give you some of those results. So one example is we work really closely with the team at Radical Science. So they are a, a B-Core healthcare platform that has a population of 7 million patients. 
that they can have access to, to do, you know, blinded in-home user testing studies. So we can take those formulations to those larger populations. And so we just completed, and next week we're publishing results from the first study we did, which looked at six different formulations to address joint health, inflammation, and pain. And it's a 30-day in-home user trial. So each participant will get one of the six products. They will take that product every day for 30 days and every day rating their levels of pain, also rating their levels of sleep quality, their levels of anxiety. Um, So you get all these different quality of life metrics. And the outcome of this study, so I could share some of these results even before they're out there, is a couple of things. So first and foremost, actually all six of the formulations, they were all active. So they all had cannabinoids in them. All six improved on all parameters, significantly, clinically significant improvements in levels of pain, in levels of sleep quality, and in levels of just overall anxiety. Now, within that, there were certain ratios and certain formulas that outperformed. And so now as formulators, as product developers, we now have a little bit more information to help drive better products, to help understand, okay, what is that perfect combination of CBD, CBG, and CBC at what levels of dosage to deliver the best outcome, at least amongst the six that were studied there? And then what other studies can that lead us to conduct and learn more? Um, And so we're just rinsing and repeating that cycle. So right now we're about to complete next week our sleep study with Radical Science. So similar design, where you're looking at CBN as the kind of primary cannabinoid with CBD, with CBC. And in this one, we made it a little more interesting. We threw an arm in there that's melatonin. And we said, okay, CBN, let's go. Are you going to perform as well or better than melatonin, which is you know a widely known sleep aid, also has come under fire quite recently or in the past months of, you know, it's addictive, it's habit forming, is it good for you? So, you know, we'll see those results in a couple of weeks. Very eager to see those results, very eager to understand what those ratios are. So all of that can then just help inform our team to be able to make better products that are going to work, that are going to deliver time and time again when they are in the hands of consumers. That is so fascinating. I guess it's not a foreign tool to leverage if you come from other industries that leverage the idea of having focus groups or user testing or, you know, just like that understanding of, hey, you're going to be participant in this study and we're going to give you some questions to answer and some products to try out, uh, whether active or placebo and kind of get a an anecdotal but scientific accumulation of of answers, right, that you can kind of gauge and create understandings based off of. I personally have not heard of anybody really doing it in cannabis on a scale like this. Maybe other people are, but kudos to y'all for doing that because I think that, again, I'm, as a marketer, there's so much crazy like doodads and tools and things that you can use. And then there's just asking people what they think about A versus B. And obviously doing that is difficult sometimes to execute, but so it takes having good partners and a good team to help you execute and keep track and kind of standardize the process. But I'm excited to hear some of those preliminary results and also just to hear that you guys are implementing that because I think that's what we lack in this industry is that understanding and that assurance. Sometimes I I gawk at these products that I see on shelves in, in any state, legal, hemp, whatever, and it's 
Well, why did they incorporate that cannabinoid at that percentage? Does that do something better when I take it with this other cannabinoid or taking it isolated or what is the dose? And I think the you know, understanding for the most part is, well, we'll just see what happens. You know, everybody's body is different. So just start and take more and see what happens. That is fine for the consumers who don't mind doing that. But for the general public who's looking for the result, they want to know, okay, well, what is the most performative? What is going to be the most clear cut? And unfortunately, the industry we're in also doesn't allow us the luxury of saying, this is really great for sleep. Right. (laughs) I see, unfortunately, too, I'm personally not a fan of melatonin. So I see brands where they can get away marketing something as sleep because they'll introduce melatonin into it, even if it's a tiny trace amount, just to say, oh, this is our sleep product. So that's a whole separate conversation, but more just on understanding the formulation behind things. You were kind of alluding to some of the technologies. And so I want to prod a little bit more. I only know what I know. And I also have some personal assumptions on things. But I'm speaking about technologies in terms of, I guess, the quality of these cannabinoids when you're getting into absorption or most effective, like I think on a high level consumption method, right? Am I ingesting something? Am I inhaling something? Am I applying something topically? Those will all have different bioavailabilities. But now we're getting into nanoparticles and other ways, I guess, to make it have even better absorption. And so I'm curious from what y'all do and also what you've studied and also what you've heard. Is there truth in some of this? I mean, I'm not a science major by any means, and I can understand when a particle size is smaller, you will absorb it better. But I think very similar to the conversation we were having around the understanding of isolate versus full spectrum, I think people's gut is, oh, well, it needs to be nanoemulsified because it's going to absorb better. And to me, it's like, well, yes, if it's in a beverage and then kind of on a tangent in that conversation, I remember hearing a couple of years ago, depending on the, I think it was even the can, so the mechanism for which the product is stored in, but also the way that the cannabinoids are suspended, they'll stick to the cans from a bridge perspective. People were buying this 25 milligram soda. It was a nightmare. But there was nothing in it. So to me, there's a little bit of gimmick in there, right? Where it's, oh, well, you need to buy the nano emulsified one because it's going to be better absorbing. And I'm thinking, yes, also, and your body absorbs the oil too, right? So I think there's a right time and place for what technology gets applied. And so nano is just kind of what comes to mind also because it's just came up in a conversation. I'm like, I don't really know what to think. And so knowing that you guys, I'm sure, delve into that in some capacity. What are your thoughts on nano slash other technologies that the cannabis industry is exploring right now to make sure when I buy a beverage, I'm be able to consume the majority of what the, you know, milligrams on the label are claiming to say is in the product? Yeah. So nano is a good one. It's almost quite similar to your, your story of, you know, coming to market with isolate products, you know, in, you know, those 2018, 2019, everything was nano. Like if you were doing a water-soluble technology, if you were creating an emulsion or powder, it needed to be nano. That was it. Nano, it had to be that. What's your particle size? Has to be below this. Then all of a sudden, a year later, it was like, oh my God, nano is bad for you. Nano is potentially accumulating in certain parts of your body. It has to be bigger than this particle size. If it's too small, and so it's like it went all the other way. 
And then in the meantime, all of us marketers out there, all the marketers were just saying nano willy-nilly, right? Where it's like, they didn't tell you, it's like, we're just going to call it nano because it sounds really good, right? Where it's like, we want to be- It's a buzzword. It's a buzzword. It's what consumers want. They want to hear it's nano. It's a nano emulsion. This is a nano tincture. It's like, oh my goodness. But, you know, if we bring it back to ground level where it's like, okay, like, why is that important, right? And so like, why it's important is let's talk about cannabinoids and how they are lipophilic and hydrophobic, right? They're oil-based. They love oil. They hate water. What are we comprised of as humans in our bodies? We're mostly water. Okay. So yes, people can consume oil-based tinctures or other products. You're going to have challenges just on a basic molecular level in your body of consuming an oil and trying to absorb of much of the active, that CBD, from that oil in your water-based system. So being able to use all these new technologies, which as they've come to market in these past few years, have allowed for much more sophisticated products and much better performing products and performance, meaning how well our bodies can actually receive and take advantage of them. Not to mention the benefits you get just in the product level itself. Like anyone out there who drank a CBD beverage in 2018, God bless you. Like it was not a fun experience. They didn't taste very good. You certainly weren't getting necessarily the experience you wanted, just even on a level of delight as well as a level of efficacy. So now with these new technologies coming to market, you're being able to create, you know, definitely beverage products as well as using those in other formats, whether that's ingestible products like a gummy that has a faster onset or that's faster acting, or even putting that into water-based topical products that have a whole wide range of use cases so that you're actually able to absorb more of the active ingredient to get more of its benefit and most of the time more quickly. And that's where you can get into, you'll see technical data sets presented on doing pharmacokinetic studies, doing bioavailability studies of like, okay, when I drink this beverage, how quickly or how much more quickly does this go into my system than just taking a regular, you know, CBD isolate or an oil and using that comparative basis. So all these technologies have just allowed us to open the door to just better performing products and being able to deliver on more precise experiences. You know, so like, you know, one of the kind of holy grails out there is, okay, like now we're getting deep into the beverage category, both on the THC side and on the non-THC CBD side and all the interplay. So there's this proliferation of beverages going out into the market. Every other day, there's another press release with like another beverage brand, another sparkling seltzer brand. They're all coming. There's more coming. And, you know, what is the consumer expectation of that experience? And how well can these technologies deliver on very specific effects? How well can we actually replicate if the use occasion is that unwinding at the end of the day and you want to be able to, as an alternative, drink either a THC or a CBD beverage, but have a similar kind of trajectory of experience. Um, And that's where it's starting to get really interesting from a formulation perspective, because we're starting to be able to do that now. We're starting to be able to titrate based on the cannabinoids, the dosages and the deliveries, an actual arc of an experience that can mimic some of those other experiences that we can have with other products. And so that's why all the technologies that we readily work with, so many of them to create, you know, different kinds of experiences, whether it's, you know, doing, you know, a standard kind of encapsulation 
or doing things like encapsulating cannabinoids in protein molecules. The proteins will, again, allow you to better absorb the same way our systems will absorb a protein. It's going faster first pass metabolism. And so you're getting the cannabinoids to be more readily delivered and absorbed. So all these different methods are just better tool sets to create better products and ultimately do what we want, which is make products that are going to improve people's quality of life, like whatever that means to you, whatever you need. So the takeaway is nanotechnology is real. It's my my flip to that, though, is how accessible is it for everyday brands going to market? Like, I certainly see it. I mean, uh, Wana is a great brand. They've got the fast acting gummies now. I love them. They're not only, you know, just great tasting, but they do work relatively like faster compared to other gummies. I just got, I think the brand is, I'm going to butcher, y'all are going to hate me, but 1905, 1906, they're Colorado. I I was like, it's some year. I'm really bad at history and dates. Colorado brand as well. I just got a hold of some. They're like, they're literally called like bliss or happy gummies. The packaging said, just take two of these and you'll feel in a really good mood. And I was looking at the ingredients and it's CBD, THC, and a combination of some other herbs and things like formulating. And they're not just cannabinoids to kind of give you that effect. And so I see brands doing it, but it seems to be brands that I guess have the accessibility to invest in these. Like, I guess I'm just trying to understand, is it realistic for everybody? Like, obviously every brand should be leveraging these technologies because it's going to deliver a better performance, but it does also come down to cost and I think education is a big one aside from cost, just because we don't know what we don't know, like I shared. And I've heard of these technologies. I can't say that I've been the biggest supporter of it because I think that not everybody probably even executes the technology to the extent that is good quality. Like just because someone says they do nano, it's like, well, I, from what I understand, again, not being a science person, it's how you are getting those particles down. I believe it's like a big spinner and the spinner is, you know, shaking those particles up. And it's like, yeah, I can get a salad bowl, you know, shaker and spin some particles up. And it's not going to be the same as maybe a high tech machine that you guys have access to. So I think sometimes when I hear people like, oh, well, my grandpa's got nanotechnology. I'm like, what the fuck does your grandpa know about nanotechnology that he's getting it in a CBD, you know? So to me, it seems like a nice, nice to have. I don't know how accessible it is for every brand. Like I'm sure people listening are going to be like, I want that. How do I get that? And like, I mean, you don't need the specific pricing, but I would be curious relatively CBD regular versus the nanoparticle CBD for better absorption in a beverage. Like what is the percentage of variability of cost for someone to go take advantage of that technology? Yeah. So it's a great point. And yes, it's more expensive, right? So I think the easiest way to think about it is like on a cost per milligram basis, right? So cost per milligram, certainly of CBD isolate right now, which has come down significantly for many reasons, you know, you're looking at a, you know, a water soluble and nanomolesplite technology might be 10 times more expensive on a cost per milligram basis. Now, like everyone out there who might not know off the back of their head, the cost per milligram of CBD isolate, I'll help you out. It's like, it's like less than a fraction of a penny. All right. We're talking about like 0.0007. Okay. So 10X that is still not a lot, right? right. But again, when we're talking about being marketers. We're talking about putting products in market. What's the big challenge right now? So the big challenge actually is education on the consumer level, because right now, what is driving purchase at whether it's online or retail, people are looking at total milligrams, right? They want to see, they think, 
higher milligrams were like, oh, it needs to have at least 500 in the container, or at least 10 per piece or this or that. A good point. So, you know, when you're using one of these, we'll still say it, nanotechnologies, uh, when you're using any of these technologies, technically you can use less to deliver the same effect. Or to say, conversely, you could put 10 milligrams in and it's going to feel like 50. It's going to feel like more. However, that's not how you're being judged by the consumer. The consumer is looking at that number on the label and they want to see like, okay, what's the value of like, if I'm buying this one versus this one, this costs that, this costs this. And we know price at retail totally drives that. And also what you're putting on your labels. You could say, but wait, we did, we did all the consumer testing. We put our gummy head to head and it had this much and it was, it's the same or it's better. Like that mindset of the consumer hasn't caught up yet. I do think it will. And I do think there's examples from other categories and industries who've been able to overcome this hurdle, but it requires, you know, really strong brand marketing, really strong consumer relationships to build that education, build that trust so that they know, okay, I understand what's going into this product. Now I understand why it it's saying it has less in it, but it actually doesn't, right? It's actually about what's the product going to do? Can you get that product into someone's hands? And then they know that it's actually working. It's actually working better. Well, that's an interesting position you're framing because, I mean, I look at WANA, they are obviously an industry leader. They're across the nation in multiple legal markets and international as well. But then you still have the comparison, let's say, leading gummy in California. And the consumer can't really fathom. It's like, okay, well, this one says fast acting and we know Wana, but then this one also tastes good and it's this great brand. They're a hometown brand and I love the way it makes me feel, but it maybe takes a little bit longer to take effect. And so then you're kind of trying to put against five milligrams versus five milligrams with a brand that is not using that technology. And so it, I, I agree. I think it is coming. I think it takes education. It is a marketing challenge right now because it is when you have a consumer who's looking at it for the milligrams and the price per milligrams or or the adverse is being educated on this technology. They're not seeing this technology. It's like, oh, well, it doesn't work. It's like, okay, well, I don't think we're all speaking the same language just quite yet. And so until there is, I think, accessibility, which I don't know if we'll ever have in the industry from a, you know, price perspective, it's the commodity and <laughs> the industry is driving the, the price up or down. And so it just is going to kind of come down to, I think, that brand's decision to incorporate those technologies and then bring that product to the consumer for the consumer to be educated and buy in and request it, demand it, whatever the case may be. But it is, it's an interesting one that, you know, keeps kind of coming up in different conversations that I'm in. And I'm always like, I don't know how I feel about this. So I appreciate your insight into it because it is, an, I don't want to say an issue, but it is a, a topic that is important for us to pay attention to as we figure out all these components that we've been talking about, bringing these different cannabinoids and products ultimately to market. So kind of final question for you. From a extractor, formulator, manufacturer's perspective, working with all these brands, working with new technologies, working with these new cannabinoids, what is kind of your take or pulse or, you know, excitement of where the industry is going that you are either a part of now or you see kind of just like the horizon of, because I feel like what you do is very much on the cutting edge of like what ultimately drives where the industry is going, whether it's the formulation and bringing new, you know, kind of combinations of products to market, or it's bringing these cannabinoids or a new technology to deliver these cannabinoids. So I'm just like, what's the new thing? You know, 
Is it nano? Is it transdermal? Is it a cannabinoid that we haven't heard about yet? Like what is going on in your world and what is kind of coming around the corner that we should be putting on our radars? Yeah. So, I mean, short answer, all the above, all the things you mentioned are all on the radar. What do I think is, you know, kind of the going to be the the biggest stories coming up here, like the things that we're going to continue to be talking about. We're going to be continuing to talk about beverages and figuring out that category and figuring out what consumers really want of that category. What are the products that are going to be successful? You know, just going back to the brand landscape, like the battle for brands hasn't even begun yet, right? There is no like true like brand recognition or brand loyalty on the THC side, the marijuana space, nor is there on the CBD side. Like the battle hasn't even started, which is a huge opportunity, right? And that's where the product development opportunity comes into play, where it's like when you have the marriage of a great product that works well with a great brand that can do that work, like those are the ones that are going to win out there. And so I think like the rise of of true brands, and I know we've all been like incredibly handcuffed on every level when it comes to being able to build a brand on either side of this cannabis industry. If you're in a regulated market, you're talking state by state, you're talking to overcome those challenges. And on the CBD side, like forget about it. Like how are you even reaching consumers? Where can you advertise? Where can you talk about it? Like it's been a huge challenge and like we're all hopeful that some of those handcuffs will be released and loosened to like truly allow the game to begin and for brands to start to build and grow because brands are the ones that are going to have to do this work. You know, it's like we're we're there to put all of the right pieces in play to give all of the opportunity to say, we're going to give you the best and the most cutting edge ingredients. We're going to give you the best formulations that we've tested that can work. We're going to be able to manufacture them like at quality, at scale, on time, on cost. We're going to do all the right things. And then you guys are going to go out there and like fight that and win those consumers over. And that's great. And that's what I'm waiting for. That's what I can't wait to see how this unfolds. And the final piece there, because this is what I spend a lot of time with our team thinking about is, you know, up until this point and recently, the focus of a lot of product development has been on these like discrete need state territories, whether that's sleep or anxiety or pain. There's like the kind of the big three everyone talk about with CBD. You're now starting to see like energy and focus be like a very close fourth and kind of climbing up. And all of those are how can you get yourself from what I would say like a negative state. I'm in pain or I can't sleep or I'm feeling anxious to a neutral, right? And where I think we're going to start to step into is how do I take you from a neutral to a positive? How do I help you unlock the true potential of how good you could actually feel throughout your entire day? Like what are the products? What are the ingredients that you can look at the life cycle of your day that are going to allow you to feel better than you thought you could? Like be like, I think I think I feel, I'm having a good day today. I feel good. What if this isn't even close? And thinking about things like how do I feel more confident, more passionate, more radiant, more have more vitality, all of those things and how we can use cannabinoids to help elevate what our potential is, is where I think you're going to start to see a whole new landscape of products opening up and allowing people to like try and bring those products in where it's like if you don't have any of those discrete needs or solutions, you maybe haven't walked into this category yet. You know, if you're not anxious or you don't have pain or like you sleep just fine, good, everyone can sleep better, but okay. But now it's like, well, who doesn't want to like 
feel more radiant or just have, you mentioned before, like bliss or happiness, right? So like, how can we deliver on that? And I think that's going to be another big area of focus and what we're going to start to see more of and what we're doing more of too. I absolutely love that. I think it's so inspiring because you just, you touched on it and hit it home. It's the people who don't identify with current cannabis, you know, kind of entry points and it's those people getting them excited and then converting people who are already consuming cannabis to elevate them into other states of happiness, well-being, pleasure, radiance. I love that too. That's very inspiring to dream of a industry and a market where we have tangible access to bringing those products to market with the help of businesses like yourselves who are helping to formulate and manufacture and extract and all the different components that go into delivering that consumer packaged goods on a shelf. I lied to you though, one final question, only because you are head of innovation and you were talking about the innovation with beverages. I agree, beverages are going to continue to be huge, but I'm really curious, how do you innovate beverages more? Like there's low milligrams, there's high milligrams, there's flavors. What else can you innovate on a beverage? I'm just (laughs) curious with your expertise and passion for it, like what is the possibility of baking a better beverage? Absolutely. So I think number one, it's about effect and having different effect-driven beverages. So like I, you know, alluded to before, like when you're drinking alcohol, there's one outcome, you're going to be drunk. Like, are you going to be like tipsy, right? It's like, okay, no one's like measuring those levels, but like we're talking about like, effect-driven beverages, functional beverages, right? And so, and that category has already started to emerge, right? So you see that with, you know, functional wellness beverages, like you could take your charcoal shot or your ginger shot, and those are all in the wellness category. Mm -hmm. So like they've started to lay that groundwork. You're seeing the work in the mushroom beverage category, right? They're starting to kind of blaze that trail of like, okay, what if there is a beverage that you could have with your coffee or in your coffee or instead of that's giving you these adaptogenic mushrooms that are going to help you have better focus throughout your day with lion's mane, or they're going to help you, you know, recover from a workout with your chaga or your turkey tail. Like they're going to be these purpose-driven beverages that can deliver on certain effects. And at the same time, they have to taste good, right? So it's like, how can you formulate those types of beverages? And that's where cannabinoids are in a very unique position to be able to provide and modulate different effects in a beverage. Uh, And that's where the landscape, I think, is going to turn into of having these different levels and types, both on the THC side and on the CBD side, right? So it's like there's, you know, beverages for every different type of occasion. Like think about all the beverages you drink throughout your day. Like beverage is such a big category, right? You've got like your coffee in the morning. Yes, this is my like fifth coffee of the day. So it's like, yes, coffee throughout the day for me. But yeah, like all the different things you drink where it's like maybe you start your day with a smoothie and a coffee and then you'll transition to maybe, you know, a sparkly beverage, iced tea. Then you're maybe having an alcoholic beverage. It's like all different types of beverages. And right now, some of those are delivering a little bit on effect. Like, why do we drink coffee? Like, I think it tastes great. And yeah, it gives me right. some caffeine. This could have some THCV in it, be serving the same effect, same role, right? Why am I having that like the you know, midday cup of tea. It's like, oh, because I'm trying to like quiet my mind or clear my head. Okay, great. Maybe I'll have some CBDV and have some like, you know, CBG in there. So that's where I think there is bigger opportunities in beverage because we're going to be able to like really play a role like Mm -hmm. in the entire daily cycle of beverage consumption on every hour of the day. 
love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadeatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadeatarabi.com. 